the music stops, it's time to preach. I say a special God bless you to every person that's here today. And we are lower in number today on, on, on holiday weekends. You never really know whether you're going to gain or lose. And, uh, but uh, there are some visitors among us, and we do really, really appreciate you being in service with us today. And there is a visitor card in the seat in front of you, I think, and I hope that you'll fill that out. And at the table, you'll see that card there. There's a table in the foyer. It's called a Connect Table, and I think Ron and Cynthia Heron are going to be meeting you out there today. And uh, it's just a, if you have any questions, they'll do their very best to answer those questions. But it means a lot that you're here today. We just want to say thank you so much for being in service with us. Um, I want to say a special God bless you just really quickly to pause if I can before I get into the preaching of the word. I always, I was meeting some veterans just then, being a veteran myself, or, um, and then we, we always have veterans or active duty military members among us, and we always honor and want to honor them, uh, but you know, today is a day, not really today, but tomorrow is a day that I had the opportunity to greet some just then, but you know, in churches across America, there's an empty seat beside a spouse, or a daughter, father, there's an empty seat. And um, I was reminded this morning of the privilege that has been given to us by those who put that uniform on every day and fight that good fight, uh, and, and tragically some do not make it home, but I, I don't want their death to be in vain. Um, I was reading just a brief article this morning about um, some information that came out of North Korea recently, and it was delayed information because of COVID and some of the, I guess, the, 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 perhaps the spies or the sources of, or access points of information was uh, hindered of getting this information out. But it was just telling the story of, uh, briefly, of a couple in 2009 were discovered with a Bible. Discovered with a Bible. That was their only crime. They were Christians. They discovered... Uh, their Bible, and um, so they were taken, given a life sentence, they and their child, their two-year-old child, was given a life sentence to prison in North Korea, and the, again, their only crime was because they worshipped Christ and had a Bible. And, um, and so if you don't think that things like that go on around the world, then we've got our head buried in the sand. And, um, but today, standing in front of you today, I can honestly say I have the faith of those Christians, but I also have a Bible as well, and I do so today without fear of someone barging into this room and dragging us into a prison because of the faithful sacrifice of men and women that paid the ultimate price. And I'd like to ask you for just a few moments, or for just a moment, because I am preaching, but I just can't, I'm not preaching about this today, and it's obviously Memorial Day is tomorrow, and, and I will encourage you and your family to pause along the way and remind uh, yourself of why you have a three-day weekend. Now I'd ask you to just for a moment of time, let's just pause and let's just think within our hearts and gratitude for those that gave the ultimate sacrifice, if you would, for me and for us today. Father, totally apart from my sermon, we pause to say, God of all grace, 
as only you can. Can you comfort the hearts of those that every day they're reminded that their warrior or their airman or their seaman is not coming home? And I just pray today that the Holy Spirit of God, who is the comforter, can do a, a work in their heart and minds and minister to them as only you can. Today, Lord, we are thankful for the freedoms that have been purchased so dearly. Let each one of us not take them for granted. And we're thankful today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so, so much today. I appreciate it. And now, it's kind of the, it's the part of being a pastor. You go, you, you have huge pendulum emotional swings. You go with identifying with uh, JoJo's exhortation about personal trauma to pausing to reflect upon the sacrifices and to do so with sincerity, even though it's briefly, we do so with sincerity to reflect upon those sacrifices that have been made. And now, um, as quickly we turn the page or we turn the channel to go right towards uh, the, the subject matter that we're going to commence today, and it is a commencing of uh, a subject matter. Today, according to um, the Christian community, is known as Pentecost Sunday. And um, we are a Pentecostal church, so this day carries, uh, you know, great importance to us. Now, obviously, uh, I don't think Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was actually today. I think it was three days ago on Thursday, I believe, according to the calendar. But it's the day that we uh, have set aside to talk about something that means a lot to us. Now, I remember years ago when I was um, going through a class, a class that I'm going through right now to teach about just very, very quickly, let me go ahead and backtrack for just a moment. We, commit, we, we went through our membership class the last three weeks, but when I do the membership class, I don't go into doctrinal aspects um, anymore. I, I, it just it, it takes a long time to do so. But there was such a desire amongst this group to, to inquire about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Pentecostalism, spiritual gifts, that I just felt compelled to say, hey, if you'll meet me here, uh, next Sunday, it was last Sunday, I said, we'll just, we'll just pick that subject up and we'll go. And every single one of them came back, much to my surprise. And uh, because it was Memorial Day, I thought, well, you know, maybe we won't have everybody. Uh, but we had every single student, and I told them that we're just going to go ahead and stay the course. And I, uh, if you would like to join me during the Sunday school, we met in the pastor's office. But that's going to be the subject matter for the next several weeks of time because we are a Pentecostal church, and it's important that occasionally along the line that we go into the doctrinal belief, and we reaffirm those doctrinal beliefs. And also, not only do we reaffirm, but we cast the spark, hopefully, for those that may be desiring a greater work of the Holy Spirit in their heart and life. Amen? And so that's going to be, again, at 9 a.m. If you're a part of another class, that's fine. Those, those teachers will, will let you go gracefully for a short period of time so that you can be with Pastor Brown. I'll do my very best to answer questions related to Pentecostalism. Um, I was thinking of my uh, personal experience related to this just very, very quickly um, with the military context. So when I was um, first in basic training, they sign you up for your dog tags. And I remember long years ago, I had just experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and was just a few months into the Pentecostal movement. 
And, uh, but I had gone through the vein initially of what's called a non-denominational charismatic church. Many of you are familiar with them. And Sherry and I at that particular time had just kind of just narrowly and just gingerly and just, just for a brief period of time gone through the prevailing word Christian center here in Heber Springs where we were married at. And so when they asked me what my faith affiliation was when I was 18 years old and I was in basic training, it was non-denominational. That's all I knew. I just barely knew a little bit about non-denominational. And so when I got my dog tags back, it said non, none, none, faith, none. And my heart sank that I would wear those dog tags that said faith, none, from there. So the, later, when I got to my first duty station, I was given the opportunity to get a new set. And they said, well, what shall your faith be? And I said, Pentecostal. So in my office in there, I still have my, those, that second set. It's like Moses and the Ten Commandments. I have the second set of dog tags. And this one says Pentecostal. And that is who we are. That's a part of our belief system. It, is, it shapes us, it defines us, it gives us a zeal, um, it stirs us, it, um, it, it, it motivates us, uh, and there's so many uh, different means that, that, that we can discuss it. And so I shocked Lori, who's in the booth today, when I said, I, I have not a sermon title for you today, neither do I have a sermon text for you, because I have the, a, a, a subject matter that is, is broad enough that I'm, I'm not going to narrow it down. I'll narrow it down later, but not today. If there was a subject matter, you say, Pastor Brian, I just got to have something. Well, you could probably keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter number 2, because that's uh, obviously where we're going to kind of uh, uh, extract much of the theme here today. And so many of you that are raised in the Pentecostal movement, you know that that is a great emphasis in our movement of the events of what is called the day of Pentecost. But I, but I want you to know, in this journey of preparing my heart for today, I have probably in the latter three days given more time of personal preparation than I have in some time for a singular message. And, uh, and, and I've, as I've done so, I have, I've worked out some things in my heart. So let me just tell you what I, what I did. Now, I don't know if this will mean anything to you at all, so... Being Pentecost Sunday, being a Pentecostal church, but always having new men and women come into our fellowship, we have a constant need to share the doctrinal beliefs of our church family in hopes that it creates a spark. Some draw near to Pentecostalism only to decide that that's not their flavor of Christianity. And, uh, but others stand a little bit far off and they're intrigued by it. Others have grown accustomed to being warmed by other people's fire. And so what my hope is, is that I can take the intrigue that some may have and, and, and yet see it encouraged inside of them until they press in deeper and desire to have a greater experience of the work of the Spirit of the living God in their heart and life. And I believe that that is possible. With all of my heart, I believe that like the rivers that the, a river uh, that was prophesied in the days of Ezekiel, that it was ankle water, knee water, width uh, up to the thigh. And then ultimately, Ezekiel said, I saw a river that I could not swim across. And I believe there is a depth in our communion and our fellowship with God. So just very quickly, what I did in my personal preparation, I took home my entire sermon file of teachings on the Holy Spirit that I've accumulated after 20 years of pastoral ministry here at 
Hebrew First Assembly, as well as seven years at Shirley, though some of those could have been lost in the fire of 2001. And so, as I did, I spent all day Friday gleaning through those sermon titles. And I actually, uh, I actually counted them, and I know that some of you that know this number may think I'm trying to over-spiritualize this, but oddly enough, I had 120 sermon files or sermons in my file that about 110 of them I had preached myself, others were teachings. And so I spent the entire day in my office at home just gleaning and pondering with an intent of how that I was going to minister the word related to either the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but, but something just wasn't settled. So I could never find that release to sit down and then begin to move that towards a sermon. I could have easily brought any of those sermons because I'm telling you, they're dynamic, by the way. They're dynamic. And, uh, but I chose not to do so. So I get up sun, Saturday morning and I go through the whole process. And this time I put pen to paper and I create sermon 121, number 121. Uh, relate, and it's powerful. And those principles were probably brought to, 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 to this sermon series in the next few weeks of time. But as I went into later into the night, just something wasn't settled with that context and, and, and the angle that I was going to go. And so about 11 p.m. last night alone in my office, it was then that I began to find the definitive direction that I believe, and I'm not speaking for any pastor, I'm not speaking for any other Pentecostal preacher anywhere around the world other than me. I believe I have the definitive direction, the direction that God wants me to take you on this journey. And I just felt like that I did not, I could not just narrowly focus on what took place in the first four verses of Acts chapter number 2. And that is when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon what we call the early church, culminating with the tongues of fire, cloven tongues of fire that is divided and sat upon each one of them. And I believe the fourth verse reads something like this. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. It's a powerful experience that they possess. We hope and believe that our experience is similar, if not exact. And yet, at the same time, I just believe that I, I have to do more. I have to have a broader. Uh, and so, we've got, I, I just, sometimes, church family, you've got to take a step back. Because only when you take a step back can you actually see the, the, the designed intent of when it really, really narrows for the purpose that God had in his heart and mind. So we're going to pause and we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Lord. How many believe the Lord will help us today? I believe that preaching will come easy in here today. Do you? I hope you're inquisitive. I hope that it stirs something inside of you. I don't know. I just, one thing I do know that, that, that all of us are on a different journey. We're in the same room, but we're, in a, we're on a different journey. And, and yet I've found God to be faithful. And I have found God to, be, uh, God to be willing to meet me at where I'm at and, and with his grace and with his goodness. And I'm going to trust the Lord's going to do that in your life as well. Amen? So, Father of heaven, we are humbled to be here today, grateful for an opportunity to share the word of God. I pray, Lord, today that there will be clarification, conviction, anointing, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God to be amongst us today, Father, bringing about a stirring among us. I could have easily, Father, 
taken several of the sermons out of the notes that, that said, stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you and taken this church family that direction. But I honestly believe, Father, that you have moved me to share a little bit broader picture of perhaps what took place on that day of Pentecost that is noted in Acts chapter number 2. So, Lord, let the Holy Spirit guide us in our thoughts and in our understanding. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, A, come on, somebody, amen and amen. So I could ask this question, what do we know, per se, to a degree, limited as it is, about the Spirit of God up until this point? The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, King James English, the Holy Spirit. Just so that you'll know this, if you don't understand the language of, of many of us, the term ghost in King James, the King James Bible is the pneuma in Greek, same translated as spirit. So if it says Holy Ghost, it's Holy Spirit. It matters not. There's no distinction between the two, though some have tried to make, make it so, but it's not the case. Whatever the terminology I think it's a fair question when we commence with this outpouring of this Holy Spirit in Acts chapter number 2 that we kind of say, but wait a minute, how did we get there? And why did we arrive there? Why did a certain people group arrive at a particular location for a particular experience? How does that differ from the previous experiences of days gone by? And then what would happen from that day forward? So I think and I hope that some of that will come forth. So, so with, with the different terminologies that we have, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, you might ask yourself, Pastor Brown, how quickly into the Word of God do we see, if, and I want to say this, the distinguishing work of the Holy Spirit? Now, this is, again, a part of a much larger doctrine, the doctrine of the triune nature of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, but, but I can't go there today. But you say, Pastor, when does the Spirit of God, Spirit simply means breath, as mentioned earlier, or wind, or life, or simply Spirit. Sometimes the, the, the definition of a word is found better in just the word itself because we've acclimated ourselves. I don't need you to give me a definition of a rock. Strata, I, I don't know. It's a rock. When you say rock, I know what you're talking about. So when you say spirit, I think most of us know that we're talking about something that is outside of the physical realm, but that can move in the spirit of the physical realm and actually alter events in the physical realm. So with this, you say, Pastor, how early do we see the spirit of God? Genesis chapter number one is how early? As early as verse number two, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. And lo, the earth was void and without form, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's as early as we see God moving by His Spirit upon His creation. And what we then, in, in our journey, we begin to form a doctrine of pneumonology or spiritual. Uh, workings of God and how he moves by his spirit throughout the scriptures. And we do so as we read both the Old Testament and certainly the Gospels and the New Testament. But when we commence, we see how God moved uh, and how he manifested himself uh, during the days of ancient Israel. We see the presence of God or the spirit of God often known as the glory of God. To the Hebrew people, there was a word that they used to describe it, the Shekinah. We often say it may be Shekinah or Shekinah, I think, 
I may not say the, the right pronunciation of it, but it's representing the manifested glory and the presence of God. It was that glory of God that would illuminate in the most holy place behind the veil in the tabernacle. It represented God's power and His presence. We, we see the Spirit of God coming upon, just like He did on the face of the waters, we see Him moving upon His people. We see the Lord coming upon patriarchs or priests or prophets or prophetesses. Or we see psalmists or warriors. They couldn't do the things that they did unless there was a supernatural work of the Spirit of God coming upon them, enabling them, or if you will, empowering them to do the exploits that God had called them to do. David said these words, and I'll bring clarification to you in essence what he's saying. He said, by my God, I shall run through a troop. And by my God, I shall leap up over a wall. What does that mean? What's he saying? Bring clarification. By the supernatural power of the spirit of the living God that's come upon me, David is saying, I could not in my natural ability have the ability to fight through an entire troop of warriors and I have no natural ability to leap up over a high wall. But David is saying is that when the supernatural power of the spirit of the living God that moved upon the face of the waters, when that power comes over me, there's no wall high enough to stop me from getting where I need to go and there's no army that's under this sun that can keep me from getting where I need to go when the Spirit of God's upon me. That's the power of God's Spirit. And He manifested Himself in so many different ways. That's why we have to be very careful of categorizing it so closely and then thinking God is only going to move this way because He moved on patriarchs as I mentioned previously, and also priests, but definitely prophets. Prophesying in the Old Covenant was noted. It was of the Spirit of the Lord. It was when the Spirit of God would come upon them that holy men of old, the Scripture says, spake as moved by the Holy Ghost. And so we find divine revelation, and we even find under that Old Covenant spiritual gifts and manifestations and revelation of God's divine glory. We find a lot of a record about the Spirit in what you and I call the Old Covenant from Genesis to Malachi, but we don't find a lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit. We find records, we find historical accounts of when this happened and that happened, but we don't get a lot of why, we don't get a lot of, of how come or why it's going to happen this way. But when did that begin to take, when do we begin, begin to see with greater clarity and begin to understand the workings of God's Holy Spirit as it relates towards a human being? It comes in the person of Christ. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus brought the greatest revelation of the Spirit in his personal experience, in his ministry that was empowered, and in his teaching and then also in his promises. And when you think about this, I mean, literally, Jesus was born of the Spirit. You remember the words that the angel promised Mary back in Luke's gospel when he appeared to her in Galilee, when he promised her that a son, she was going to have a son that was going to sit on the throne of her father David, and she was perplexed, big question mark in her mind, because she said, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? But then the angel of the Lord promised her, and he said this, he said that the Spirit of God, the spirit that hovered over the waters in the Genesis, that same spirit is going to hover over your virginal womb. 
and the life that's going to be conceived on the inside of you is going to be born of God and is going to be the Son of Almighty God. Glory to God. Man, I'm feeling Jesus in here today. And so with that, just very quickly, he's born of the Spirit. And this is a doctrine that you and I will go into not today but later. But as he lived on the earth for 30 years, he seemed just like any other common person perhaps. Um, we don't know what he looked like. We don't really know what his voice sounded like. We don't know fully his stature. They tell us the average size of a man about in those days was about 5'5 five, five to 5'8. Five, I, I don't know that to be the case uh, or whatever the case. We don't know anything really. We don't know the color of his beard. We don't know the color of his eyes. But we do know that when he was 30 years old, his cousin was leading a reformation, early stages of a reformation. And people were gathering to hear him preach. And so crowds are coming, and all kinds of crowds. Religious people are coming, soldiers are coming, publicans are coming, sinner men and women are coming. And then one day he looks up, and a lone Nazarene comes walking down the banks of the Jordan River. And when he does, John knows that this is the one. Because the Spirit of God had already told the prophet John, this is John the Baptist, he said, I'll tell you, there's one coming among them. He said, he said, and here's how you'll know him. He said, the Spirit of God will light on him or land on him and remain on him. And so when John baptized him with, in water and raises him up, we believe in baptism by submersion, so he raised him up out of that water. The Bible says that Jesus, Luke's gospel said, and praying as he prayed coming up out of that water, that God opened the heavens and the Spirit of God descended in bodily form akin to or looking like a dove and it lit or sat upon Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes into the wilderness, disappears from all record and trace for 40 days. He faces the temptations of the enemy. He doesn't eat food. He does drink water. He survives the temptation. And he comes back full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the writer of Acts, again Luke, in Acts 10 and 38, tells us that when he commenced his ministry, the way and the means that he ministered. And how many of you believe that Jesus did works unlike any other man or woman ever born of a woman up until that time? No man ever talked like him, spake like him, or did the works that he did. And he did them by the power of the Spirit of God. Matter of fact, he himself said, he said, the works that I do, he said, I do them by the finger, one gospel writer says. The other says, I do them by the Spirit of God. So when Luke is looking back at everything that he did, whether it was his, whether it was somebody touching the hem of his garment and being healed, whether it was casting out devils or freeing a woman that was bowed over, couldn't even uh, raise herself up. Eighteen years, Satan had bound her. But at one moment of time, with one authoritative word out of his mouth, anointed of the power of the Holy Spirit, she raises up. And all these accumulated miracles that you and I read about in what we call the Gospels or the New Testament. Luke looks back in Acts 10 and 38 and he says this, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were afflicted of the devil. Oh, thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. But not only did he, ex he have a personal experience, and not only was his ministry empowered, but it was his teaching, though. His teaching carried an unction. And I'm telling you, if you think all teaching is the same, it's not the same. 
Some speak with an authoritative, anointed uh, uh, calling and unction in their life. Jesus spoke words that penetrated, brought conviction. And then in the process of this, he taught. He taught his disciples about the coming of the Spirit. And I will probably, I have several sermons in that file called Jesus Teaches on the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught his disciples about the work of the Holy Spirit. They were experiencing it. They were seeing it in his life first and foremost. And then, but at the same time, they were also, and they were getting to experience it a little bit because he was conferring he was conferring authority upon them, sending them out into villages. And when they would come back and say, man, let me tell you what's happening. Demons are subject unto us with that anointing upon our life. And so they're, they're stirred, but, but it's limited. It's limited. It's only being released. He had the ability to release it or reserve it for another time. And so with this, just very, very quickly, but I love his teaching, and I won't go into all of it. I won't go into just, obviously, that's an obvious question or, or a statement. I'm not going to go into it, but just, just a little window into it. John chapter number 3, a work of the Holy Spirit. I can't wait to get there. Joe was probably there a little bit on the surface today. He speaks to a religious leader, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, part of the Sanhedrin, he was a part of the religious authority that's governing the nation of Israel with the approval of Rome. And Jesus, Jesus confounds the religious leader when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus cannot understand. He says, how, I'm an aged man, can I enter the second time into my mother's womb? And Jesus said these words. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so he's teaching a revelation right there akin to that when a person is born of the flesh, that they will arrive at a moment in their heart and life when they have to be born of the supernatural power of the Spirit of God. And I can't wait to tell you about it. I'll only just, just tangle, this in front of you for, tangle this in front of you just a little bit. I love what that, when that happens to a believer. Or, or excuse me, it, it doesn't happen. You become a believer when you believe Upon the Lord Jesus, and Romans 8 says that His Spirit at that moment joins with your spirit, declaring you to be a child of God. But I'll save that for another day. But man, what a reason to rejoice, right? We have the very life. If you are born again, you have the very life of God on the inside of you. Jesus taught. He taught about the Holy Spirit, but then He promised His disciples. He said, it is expedient for you that I go away. And that was a hard word for them to hear. It, expedient, King James English, it's good for you that I'm not going to be with you in the flesh anymore. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having Jesus as you like, you know, walking with you downtown, right? And, and I mean, you felt invincible in those moments, right? I mean, they had watched him steal the storm. I mean, that, that, that the culmination of a wind blowing across the Galilean Sea that was about to capsize their boat, and yet Jesus stood up on the bow of the ship and just opened his mouth and said, Peace be still, and everything went calm. And they are so, I mean, I'm telling you, having him near would be the greatest thing that you had ever experienced in your life. But Jesus looked at them and said, It's expedient for you. It's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will pray the Father, and he will give you a comforter that will come. And he will abide in you forever. Glory to God. It's powerful revelation of the work of the Spirit. So he is teaching them that there is a promised moment, a singular moment, that's going to initiate what he is teaching them about his promises, that the Spirit will come. So upon his death, burial, and resurrection, he's resurrected by the power of the Spirit. How many of you know that? 
right? He's literally raised again by the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And then for 40 days, he was seen amongst his disciples. The Bible says with many infallible truths, means you can't argue against them. They're infallible truths. He lived, walked, talked, ate amongst them for 40 days. But he led them out to Bethany, which is just outside the city of Jerusalem. And from the Mount of Olives, it was there that Jesus ascended into into the heavens. But before he left, he left them one final exhortation. This final exhortation was this. And before you go and preach, before you take what I've deposited in you for the last three and a half years, before you take what we took from John, the revolution, and now you've seen it culminated in my death, burial, and resurrection, before you stand up and lift up your voice, before you go and minister to people, you need to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until the promise of my Father comes upon you. And so that was the 40th day after his resurrection. If you know anything about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it took place in one of the, what's a week of feast, of three spring feasts of ancient Israel that culminated all in one week. He died on Passover and was raised again on the third of those feasts, the feast of first fruits. And 40 days later, he ascends into heaven, and then the record shifts to the disciples, and they go and do exactly as Jesus said. Luke said, you'll find them for the next 10 days in the temple of God, praising God, worshiping the Lord, waiting, waiting, waiting. We don't really know if they understood exactly what they were waiting for. Of how, they knew they were waiting for the Spirit, but how He would come and manifest Himself, that would be a question that would be resolved in the future. And uh, But, 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 I don't even know if they knew it would happen on the distinct day that it did. But that was a little narrative to take us to that famous passage of Scripture in Acts 2 when the apostle Luke begins to write and he says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Are you all out there today? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord and in one place. When suddenly, God didn't ask anybody's permission. He didn't run it by the Jerusalem council. When suddenly, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house wherein they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. What's that number? We'll get to in just a moment. Or what the expected number. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spake or spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. The fulfillment of the prophetic promise made to them by Jesus that the Spirit of God would be poured out upon them. And thus it launched us into an apostolic movement. Some believe and I agree with the commencement of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ And for us, we find our spiritual identity tied to a degree to the events of that day. But as I got to this day today, in my sermon preparation, my original thought was to get stuck in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. But I just can't do that today. I just think there's more. i got to take you more today. Before we get to, to 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 the... work of the Spirit of God in our heart and lives, I just think we need to see a little bit more clearly and carefully and definitively of the effects of that moment that's occurring right there on the day of Pentecost. 
Are you out there? Let me go a little bit farther. You say, well, I don't even know what you mean by Pentecost, Pastor Brown. I don't even know what Pentecost is, that Pentecost. I would like a lot of things to cost a penny, but it doesn't. And so it's not Pentecost. It's, well, I say it fast. It sounds like that. It's Pentecost. Pentecost, it simply means 50th. It was taken from a feast of ancient Israel, as I noted previously, the fourth and the last of the spring feast. And it was to be celebrated. Why is it called 50? Because it was to be celebrated 50 days after Passover. And you'll find a brief narrative about it in Leviticus chapter number 23. When Moses, the man of God, has gone upon Mount Sinai. And he's received the law of commandments and also instruction. He gives instruction to Israel to celebrate seven national feasts. Of these three feasts, or excuse me, seven feasts, three would stand out above all others because God would require all the Jews, wherever they were at, that they would come to wherever he has chosen to set his name, which happened to be Jerusalem, that they would come and they would bring an offering and they would participate in the feast. Now, obviously, when the children of Israel were scattered, everybody didn't make that annual pilgrimage three times a year. But that's part of the context. The city of Jerusalem is swollen because the pilgrims have made their way from all over the land of Israel, but also all over the Roman Empire. They have come to Jerusalem on this particular day. And then the phenomenon of the Spirit being poured out has captured their attention. It's from that context where they see them speaking and hear them speaking in tongues that they uh, go to them, they run to them, and they want to know. The King James says they ask, what meaneth this? Some think they're drunk because they're hearing them speak. They'll declare the wonderful works of God. And the confusing part is, is they know that the men and women that they're hearing speak of the wonderful works of God do not know their native language. But at least 16 or 17 native languages are noted in the book of Acts. And the people are hearing them declare the wonderful works of God. And it's caught their attention. And it would catch your attention too. Right, It would catch your attention too, and you'd say, what is this? What, what's going on here? And we know from there the apostle Peter lifts up his voice, and he begins to speak. And I'm going to get to that in just a little while to culminate the sermon. But I just before I go into the power of the Spirit in the days ahead, I just think we've got to take a moment and pause and say, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. So what is it about that day? It's 47 verses 47 verses in Acts chapter number 2. And I'm going to just paraphrase, alluding to a few of them along the way to share with you that I think you need to see. It's more than just about speaking in other tongues. I just got to go. I've got to drop that down in your heart. I thank God for the baptism. I thank God for divine unction. I thank God for the ability to pray in the Holy Spirit. All those things I'll teach about those in the day ahead, days ahead. But let me tell you, the day of Pentecost that we know as in Acts 2 is about far more than the manifestation of spiritual giftings. Far more than that. And so I want to share with you just a few notable things. First of all, just the simple number, possibly, of the men and women that the Spirit of God possibly fell on stands out to us today. It's not noted in Acts 2 how many were gathered. But in Acts 1, it tells us that when they went to the upper room where they perhaps had shared the Passover meal, they seemed to have chosen that as a place to kind of gather until while they're waiting and worshiping in the temple. And I agree with Dr. Brassfield and, and other scholars that have come to a revelation that the Spirit of God probably didn't come there in a singular upper room, but in the temple itself. 
They were probably worshiping in the temple itself when the Spirit of God come upon them. If you want more information on that, read Dr. Brassfield's book, Journey or Pilgrimage to Pentecost. It'll tell you that in much greater detail. But the number, if there is and if there was 120 worshipers, why does that stand out? Why don't we catch more of the attention about it? Well, if you'll go back to when the original temple was dedicated, not that temple, that's what's called Herod's temple that was rebuilt, but Solomon's temple, the original temple, and when the Ark of the Covenant had been brought in its place, and when the priests had gone in, there were 120 priests that began to sound with a trumpet. And when they sounded with a trumpet, when they began to breathe into that instrument, that horn or that silver trumpet, whichever it was, probably a horn, uh, the horn of an animal, most likely a a shofar horn probably, they began to sound with those trumpets. And when they did, the glory of Almighty God fell on that temple, fell on that temple to the degree that nobody could even minister because of the power and the presence of the Spirit of the living God. And so, so now, why is that? Hold that thought for just a moment. So remember, this is the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost for us is about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But for the pilgrims that gathered that day, it was about the celebration of a feast. And the celebration of the feast had an apex moment where the priest would bring two barley loaves. Or excuse me, not two barley, but two wheat loaves. Two wheat loaves that were baked with leaven. I won't go into all that detail today, but it's an interesting story. And the people of ancient Israel had arrived at the place that that celebration was to commemorate the giving of the law upon Mount Sinai. So the priest would literally, after other sacrifices would made, take a loaf in one hand and a loaf in the other and raise them up before the Lord as a wave offering unto the Lord to commemorate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, which happened upon the Lord had written the law on two tablets of stone. The two pieces or loaves of bread represent the two tablets. But there's an interesting dynamic to us. If we are not careful, we will overlook. Because what you've got is, you've got a group of men and women that are gathered here under the instruction of Jesus, and they're praying, and they're waiting on the outpouring of the presence of the living God. But you have another group of people that are taking allegiance to the law, they're adhering to the law, and they're looking back to commemorate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And I'll tell you what, when God gets ready to validate who He affirms then he typically answers by fire. And God could have dropped the fire upon the priest and the Israelites that were commemorating the giving of the law. But the spirit of the living God that had moved upon the waters in the Genesis moved past the priest with two loaves in his hand and he found a group of Galileans, Galilean fishermen, tax collectors or zealots and women gathered in the corner of the temple and the glory of Almighty God fell upon them validating their conviction and their calling about Christ Jesus. And that's often overlooked as we journey so quickly to make the day of Pentecost all about speaking in other tongues. You say, Pastor Brown, what are you saying? Are you saying that God was celebrating the beginning of a new temple that was being built? Ooh, I said a new temple. A new temple that's not built with mortar and stone and cut out of rock. 
right? But a temple that is built of God's believers who are built together, built up in love, and we become the habitation. No wonder Paul said, know ye not. He didn't say it this way. Know ye not that the temple in Jerusalem is the house of the Spirit of God. But he said, know you not that you are the temple of the living God. And that the Spirit of Almighty God abides on the inside of you. And even one more, if I can go further than that, I might as well. I got the microphone and I'm preaching today. (laughs) Thank you, Brother Tracy. I appreciate that. It's just real quickly, I also love this, that we also think about the priest. The Bible doesn't say it's the high priest that offered that sacrifice. So whether it's the high priest or a priest, he is mediating the service to the people of Israel with the bread in his hand. But while that's happening, how many know the high priest? The high priest is in heaven. This one has two loaves. Y'all know in my mind, I'm living this out in my mind. And I know it's scary that I would dare ask you to try to see what I see in my mind. That's a scary thought for all of us involved. But in my mind, I see him standing here. He's got two loaves, the first five commandments, the second five commandments. And he's commemorating. But at the same time, there's another priest that he's in heaven. And here's what John wrote about. He said the first, he said the law, the Torah, was given by Moses. But grace, how many know Jesus got two things in his hand too? But grace and truth (laughs) cometh by Jesus Christ. Glory to God. So I think that just helps us with the picture a little bit. The giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, it's being commemorated by the people of Israel on that particular day. But have you ever stopped to think about what actually took place of when the Ten Commandments were given? The Ten Commandments, the day that the Ten Commandments were initially given and Moses comes down from being in the presence of God upon Mount Sinai, he is startled by the sound of, of, of not worship but dancing, nakedness, startled by the appearance of everybody's acting a fool. Moses gets so frustrated, he takes the Law of Commandments and he breaks them on the rocks. Go and read it on your own. It happened in the Scriptures. And with this, he arms certain men and they go through the camp of Israel, and on the day the law was given, 3,000 people died. But on the day that the Spirit of God is poured out in a new covenant, read the text later, often overlooked, not by all, by some, it says 3,000 are born into the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. What's that say to, if I had taken a text, you're going to read it later, it's in, it's in 2 Corinthians 3, time wouldn't allow me, so please don't think that I am, what is it called, cultish, you know, when I'm telling you, oh, I didn't take a text today, I have a big text today, it's from Genesis 1, we started there, we may be in Revelation before we're all finished here today. So just real quickly, just very, very quickly, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, Paul is alluding to that moment too. He calls the giving of law the ministry of death. He said, yet it's still glorious. He said the administration of death was glorious so that even when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, they had to put a veil over his face. He was ministering the ministry of death. He said, but how much more glorious should the ministry of the Spirit be? Because what you see happening in Acts chapter number 2 is a fulfillment of a prophecy made by Jeremiah the prophet. I have to draw your attention to this today. 
Because Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 33 slash 34 prophesies of a day when God said, I will make a new covenant with you, both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. But when I make this new covenant, he said, I won't write on the tablets of stone like I did in the old day, but I will write upon the fleshly tabernacle of your heart, or the fleshly tablet of your heart. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, says this. He said, you are our epistles written and read among men because God has written on the fleshly tablet of your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, his heart and his mind. You don't have to etch it out in stone. You don't have to put it on the wall for me to read. God has written by the power of his Spirit into my heart so that I can live a life that's pleasing to Almighty God. And all of that is seen, if you'll look close enough, on the day of Pentecost. A new covenant. A little farther. From, let's look real quickly at two or three people groups and then I'll close. Stay with me. I hope you stay with me. Sherry, please stay with me. (laughs) Because we brought your car. I don't have my truck. <laughs> so, but Pastor Brown, but are you saying there was no significance to that group of men? Obviously, there was tremendous significance to that group of, let's call them the 120. We don't know that there were 120. We know there were 120 that met in the upper room during that 10-day period. We don't know how many were there that day. But let's just call them that. Obviously, there was great, tremendous uh, an effect that took place because Jesus had told them, you're going to do the works that I do. He was passing the baton of his ministry to that group of 12 men and then those other men, the 70, the 120, and then also the ladies that were amongst them as well. They were literally taking the baton. They were extending the kingdom of God, correct? Right? And so, but now Jesus is saying, I'm not going to send you to do what I'm asking you to do without the same power that I've done the work. And so he's saying, I'm going to call you to preach. You're going to preach the good news of the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. I'm also going to call you to do great exploits for God. And when you do that, it's not going to be you that does it. It's going to be the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that's going to come upon you And if you read the book of Acts, it wasn't long before Peter could not even walk down the city street that the sun would strike his body and cast a shadow. And when that shadow laid over upon a sick person, infirmed perhaps by a devil, that they were supernaturally and instantaneously healed by the dynamic power of Almighty God. Hallelujah. So we know, again, if David could fight a Goliath, then Peter now can fight a demon glory to God by the power of the Spirit of God. So we know that, that there is great importance that the Spirit of God, and they began to continue. But I want you to notice something else, though, that takes place in this ministry. And there's only a couple more, and then I'm going to bring you to a closing point. Is that when Peter, though, had an opportunity to lift up his voice. The Scripture says that when everybody ran to him, and what meaneth this and everything, the Bible says that Peter, with the eleven, he's not alone, with the eleven, lift up his voice. And he says, he says, men and brethren, this is that 
which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Anybody remember that? Anybody know that I'm telling the truth today? You look it up. I'm not telling you to don't read it. I'm just saying for the sake of time, I'm not reading it. I'm just going to paraphrase it. This is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, God saith, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see vision. Old men shall dream dreams. Upon my servants and handmaids, upon my, uh, my servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Right? Right? And so it's a revelation of the manifestation of spiritual gifts to be amongst the people of God. And you and I believe that from that day forward, even before then, the people of God had spiritual gifts at work amongst them. Correct? We believe that. We are not what's called theologically cessationist. We do not believe that they have ceased from in, the, in the continuation of the church. But we are continuous. We believe they continue even up to this very hour. But what I want you to know is that we emphasize the what? Prophecy, tongues, gifts. That's not the... That's not the intent. That's not the greatest revelation. It's not about what took place or what would take place. It's really about the who. Can, can I say that one more time? So I know it's important, but prophesying all those things, powerful spiritual gifts, that's the what. But the beauty of the prophecy, it's the who. Can I tell you one more time? It's the who. Because in days gone by, spiritual gifts happened all from the Genesis all the way to Malachi. But they fell upon a select few. A priest might have an anointing. A psalmist might have an anointing. A king would have an anointing. And definitely a prophet or a patriarch or a warrior. But the common person was not privy to the power of the Spirit of God. But the promise made on that day is that God said, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Sons and daughters, prince or pauper, come on somebody, male or female, wealthy, not wealthy, and eventually they would learn it would be not only Jew, but also Gentile, glory to God. Oh, praise the Lord. And did you know what was actually being promised on that day? And I preached this in days gone by, and I'm getting closer to closing. It was the fulfillment of a Beautiful, powerful hope held in the heart of Moses, the man of God. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. We're on, in the book of Acts. We're in Jerusalem. Moses was back. Moses didn't even make it into the land of Israel. But during the wilderness journey, when Moses was struggling to deal with all the people, God said, I want you to choose out 70 people, 70 men. And he said, I'm going to take of the spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on others. And when that happened, listen to this, the Spirit of God was taken off of Moses and put on, not off, but borrowed, put on 70 men. And the Bible says they prophesied. But two men, read this on your own, Numbers 11, two men didn't go, stayed at home, and they're in the tent. Can you imagine that? They're watching the ball game in the tent, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes on them, and they start prophesying. Their wife's going, what in the world's going on in there? And, and Joshua hears about it, and he wants Moses to tell them to stop because they didn't come to church. They didn't come to church. They ought not prophesy. And Moses said, Don't, are you saying that for my sake, Joshua? Because here's what he said. He said, would to God. Would to God that all God's people were prophets. And God would put his spirit upon them all. 
And that's what's taking place on the day of Pentecost. And if we're not careful, we will overlook it. And so as I get ready to close, I've said that twice. That's the way I lessen your anxiety. What about the 3,000 that were saved at the end? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go in just a moment. That 3,000. Do you think about this? We see at the end, Peter, after he gives the sermon, that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use to close with in just a moment. But the hearts of people are pricked. They have seen the phenomenon of the speaking in tongues and the prophetic utterances. Peter suddenly emboldened. After Peter, listen to this, after Peter um, quotes from Joel, he then preaches, at least Luke records, a 16-verse sermon. And I know that's a bad precedence for me here today. Because you're going, wow, I didn't know that was possible. 16 verses. And after he preaches, the Bible says, and the hearts of the men are pricked. And they say, what must we do? And he says, Acts 2 and 30, repent, every one of you, and believe in Jesus, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And on that day, 3,000 people are converted to, the, to Christ and repent of their sins, and they're water baptized. Now, that's powerful alone. But I've often thought, but what about this experience of Acts 2, verses 1 through 4? There's no record of it being replicated to the 3,000. But in the days ahead, I'm going to let you show you, but it's my belief when you read later in the text, it says they continued in apostolic doctrine. It's my belief that once they were water baptized, Peter and the other apostles would have laid hands on them for the Spirit of God to come upon them. Because here's what he said. If you repent, if you believe and repent and are baptized, here's what he said. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a beautiful promise made to the people of God. So, as I'm concluding, I've moved from I'm about to, to concluding. There was a lot more. How many of you would agree with me today? Listen to this statement. There was a lot more than speaking in tongues going on on the day of Pentecost. Now, we believe in speaking in other tongues. But I want to do something here. I want to show you as I close today. I could have made this about Shatakaya Mosia. I believe it. I'm preparing you. We're going to go through a new season of that. And I just believe that you have new seasons in the Spirit. Right? And, but, but I do believe you have to balance it with teaching and encouragement. But I, I chose not to start there today. I want to show you in conclusion, very quickly, of the impact of what Peter shared that day. So all this has taken place. The Spirit of God has fallen. People are speaking languages that perhaps they, have, they didn't know themselves. People hear them declare the wonderful works of God. Peter then speaks and he says, this is a direct result of a prophecy made long ago by Joel. God would pour a spirit out upon all flesh. And then when he concludes giving clarity to what's taking place for 16 verses, he shifts and he turns it right back to the people that are in his audience. He says, men and brethren, listen to me. 
He said, there was a man who walked among us. Many of you knew him. He said, he was approved of God by signs and wonders, indisputable. He said, but you, but you, by wicked hands, have taken and crucified. How many of you know, I want to say this today, it was my sins that put him on that tree. Peter's preaching the truth that day. See, they thought it was the Romans that crucified him. It was their sins that put him on the tree. But listen to what he said. He said, but God hath raised him from the dead. Because it was not possible that it could be held in of him. And then he did something else. In this sermon, you read it. I'm just paraphrasing it. He said, you remember the patriarch David. Because every king of Israel was always measured against David. He said, David, he said, his sepulcher is with us today. His tomb, you can go and visit his tomb. Matter of fact, you can go and visit his tomb today. We stood outside it many years ago and went to Jerusalem. He said, he's buried in this city right now. He said, but remember what he wrote? He said, David is writing, and he said these words, The Lord, Yahweh, said unto my Lord. Who's Lord? David's Lord. So the Lord, Yahweh, said to David's Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This Jesus, he said, has died, buried, and is raised again. And pause real quickly. Remember the speaking in other tongues. Remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He said, and this phenomenon that you saw with your own eyes happened because he ascended into heaven and right now he sits at the right hand of God and he poured this spirit out to confirm that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And that simple 16-verse sermon gripped the hearts of men Unlike anything they had ever heard. Daryl, join me, please, if you're still here. Yeah, thank you. And they said, what must I do to be saved? So let me say this to you in closing. Pentecost is a lot, about a lot more than just a group of people having a happy dance at church. It's about being emboldened to speak The power of the death, the burial, the resurrection, and ultimately the ascension of Christ, who is Lord of all. Come on, church family. And I wonder, I've thought on this. Because I'll tell you, the Jew was a tough one. Paul said it. Paul said there's a veil on their minds. Are you all hearing me today? He said, there's a veil to this very hour, he said. And you know what? Well, you can say the same thing today. You can go to Jerusalem right now. Do you know what? Less than 1% of Israel, the nation of Israel is Christian, right? 30% of the nation approximately is, is uh, uh, what is the word, agnostic maybe or even beyond that. Uh, so there's, there's a lot that goes on there. There's the veil. There's a veil that's there. But, but something happened that day. 
What happened? Remember what Jesus said when he promised the coming of the Spirit? He said, when he has come, listen to this, he will reprove the world of sin. I want you to think about that with me today. The work of the Spirit that was loosed on that day was more than just people experiencing spiritual gifts. It was God moving in the earth to bring mankind a great gift. What is that great gift? Conviction. Conviction. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit begins to squeeze or compress your heart, bringing you to an awareness of your own sin and your own need to repent. Are y'all out there today? Of your own need to confess your sins and your faults before God. Of your own need to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Conviction is a work, a supernatural work of the power of the Holy Spirit. No man can come to the Father unless he's drawn, are you out there, by the Spirit. So on this most famous of days, the day of Pentecost... There are a lot of dynamics at work. Spiritual gifts are being poured out. Promises are being fulfilled. Covenant is being renewed or new. Holy Spirit's writing on the tablet of the heart. Peter, the apostle Peter is emboldened to speak with authority, knowing that it could cost him his life, and ultimately as it did many years later. And he doesn't care. He's, he's abandoned all to preach the truth of the gospel but his words now carry a weight that they wouldn't have carried previously because the spirit that hovered over the waters in the Genesis will hover over the human heart and bring you to a place in your heart and life where you have a need and you recognize the need to repent of your sins and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And that's how I'm closing my first sermon related to Pentecost. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment of time. And as we do that today, let me say this. I have no idea, I have no idea where that commenced. Your heads bowed and eyes closed. Because I don't see it in Peter's message that day. But for you, God will meet us there. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a fair question today. It's a fair question. I think it's a question that all of us have to ask at least one point in time in our lives. It was stated almost exactly the same, but a little bit different later in the book of Acts when a jailer asked Paul when he was under conviction. He said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said on that day, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe that I am fulfilling Pentecostal ministry today. When I give you an opportunity, the listening audience gathered in this house today, 
an opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here today under the sound of my voice that will say to me, Pastor, what must I do to be saved? Pastor, would you pray with me today? I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. If that's you, if that's you, will you slip your hand up and I'll pray with you right where you're at today. I'm waiting on you right now. I'm waiting for just a minute of time. I won't keep the church family much longer today. Is there anyone, young or old alike? I'm just waiting. Is there anyone? Church family, would y'all stand up with me today? Aren't you thankful for the day of Pentecost and the commencement of the work of the Holy Spirit? How many of you will commit yourself with me to let's believe for God to renew a work of His Spirit among us? So the opportunity is being offered to you to join me in a Sunday school class if you're interested in learning more about spiritual gifts or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I will promise you over the next several weeks that the sermons that are shared here from this pulpit will be in this similar vein of the work of the Holy Spirit. We will be more directional at some of those messages in the days ahead about, about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God, I believe, did not take me there for today. But that doesn't mean that that's not where we need to go. Because I believe it is where we should go. Right? Come on, somebody. So let's pray. And I'm going to let you out of here. I know many of you have got plans and family and all of that. Let's pray for God to continue to pour His Spirit out. Father, would you continue to pour your Spirit out? Father, when we say pour your Spirit out, obviously we mean the whole and entire ramification. I see a record of 120 that spoke in tongues. But I don't see a record of 3,000, but I see them being saved and I say that's as much being, the Spirit being poured out as what happened to the 120. Father God, all across this, it's all a work of the Spirit. And we as a people, your word says, I'm going to put the Lord in remembrance of his word. And I'm going to do so with the help of this church family right now. The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter number 11, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Who here today will ask and begin a new journey? I'm asking for a renewed journey. I've been on this road for many years, but I need a renewed journey, a renewed emphasis, a renewing. I need to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of me. Some areas of my life have grown dormant, and the Lord is agitating them inside of me. So I'm asking you, who will pray that with me right now? Lord, would you, God, give the Holy Spirit in new vibrancy and vitality to this church family, God. Father, that the Holy Spirit might have liberty and freedom and we might learn and grow in our understanding and in our knowledge, but even beyond that, in our experience, God. In our experience, God. I pray that today. I pray it over our church family. God, let today be the beginning of a renewing of this fellowship. Come on, somebody. I just, I'm not going to let you go until we pray that for just a moment in faith.
The word says, if two or three of you shall agree, who will agree with me right now? That just says, God, let it happen. Let it happen. Let it happen. According to your will, by your spirit, supernaturally, sovereignly, not the move of a man, not the result of a denomination, God, but the supernatural manifestations of the power of the spirit of the living God to be active among us. And Lord, let it not be limited to the one and a half hour, two hour church service on Sunday. And my God, let it not be limited to the four walls of this building. But God, let it go with us wherever we go. That we will be endued with power from on high. So, Lord, we bless the people today. I bless the people. I bless their faith. And I bless the season of expectation that thou shalt create among us, God. We will see it with our own eyes. We will hear it with our own ears. We will be able to answer the question, what meaneth this? It means the Spirit of God is still moving in the earth as in the Genesis of old. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's children said, come on somebody, amen and amen and amen. Listen, thank